from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't make them like good. They're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, March 31st. Got some news coming up in this hour about how the NCAA will be responding to the coronavirus pandemic, granting an extra year of eligibility to all student athletes in spring sports whose seasons were impacted by this, but that mean for the future and how schools will be able to handle all their scholarship athletes they will essentially have two freshman classes coming in um, so we'll discuss the impacts of that here for some coaches as well also an interesting development in all the cba drama in the nfl free agent safety eric reed he says he wants a revote. he's calling for an investigation and a revote. Uh, over language that he says was added after the vote, after the ratification earlier this month. He posted a screenshot of what they were sent, the actual copy, and then versus what was published on their website. Says uh, He's got his lawyers involved as well, so we'll discuss what that could mean for the NFL. Plus, how about some positive news, too? A lot of athletes, coaches, people in the sports world coming together to raise money for the COVID-19 efforts, and we'll get into some of that. Uh, just some feel-good notes this morning. Right now, let's get to your headlines. The NCAA Division I Council voted yesterday to grant an extra year of eligibility to all student-athletes in spring sports whose seasons were canceled because of COVID-19. The NCAA's decision will extend the eligibility of all spring sports student-athletes, not just seniors whose careers would have been over uh, and ended after the cancellation of their seasons, but it will allow schools to expand their rosters beyond current scholarship limits to account for incoming recruits and seniors who were expected to leave. The NCAA will leave it up to uh, each school to decide whether to grant seniors in spring sports less or equal financial aid next year compared to what they received this year. NCAA said in a statement that the financial aid flexibility applies only to student athletes who would have exhausted their eligibility this year. Um, Mark Schlabach, who covers college football for ESPN, he talked about how the NCAA, he, they did the right thing here. But as you can imagine, there'll be some financial implications of this, especially without these games happening, without uh, certain revenue coming in. We know college football, for the most part, pays for a lot of sports in depending on the school. But uh, other places, that revenue is important. So how will they handle dealing with now basically two scholarship classes. There are very few schools in the country outside of the Power Five, and, and not even including some of the Power Five, that can afford what what they're being asked to incur. And guys, if we don't play football this fall, and, and God forbid that happens, because I hate to even imagine it, I mean, none of this matters because 
college athletics as we know it is going to com- be completely blown up and we're going to have to start from scratch. And there are going to be a lot of schools that can't afford to do anything. So I think, you know, on paper, this is the right thing to do. But, I mean, you're talking several hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional costs for schools that rely heavily on football, rely, and if you're a non-football playing school, you rely heavily on the money from the NCAA from the, from the men's basketball tournament, women's basketball tournament. Mark also talked about no games leaving athletic departments. Some of these ADs in uh, dire straits. I mean, with everything going on, I just I just don't think anybody knows. You know, I agree with Kirk Herb Street. I have a hard time believing that we're going to play football this fall with 100,000 people in an SEC stadium. I think where we are right now, it's just hard to imagine that. But again, nobody knows. We may be in a situation where that is allowed to happen. But if it doesn't happen, it's a dire situation for college sports. I think half of the universities out there would be in such financial dire straits that it would be nearly impossible for them to continue operating an athletics department. There's just so much unknown, and it's just it's scary. There's no question about it. Gary Parrish of CBS Sports also talked about how this will impact some of the lower-level schools. At the Power 5 level, this is all affordable. Expensive, but affordable. At the lower levels of Division One. Those schools don't have between 500000 and a $1 million to be throwing at seniors who are coming back for an extra year of eligibility, at least not in all cases. So what the council decided today is that they will allow all seniors to come back in spring sports if they want, but the universities are not obligated to offer them anything to return. In other words, if you want to offer a full scholarship to a um, lacrosse player again, you can, but you can also offer less. And you can also offer nothing. And so just because everybody was granted another year of eligibility in spring sports today, that does not mean everybody's coming back. Some people simply won't want to do it. And others, I believe, aren't going to want to do it because the universities are going to say, we can, we'd love to have you back on the team, but we're not going to offer you any financial assistance. And that, that'll be a deal breaker for some. The waivers uh, will be applied for student-athletes competing in spring sports. So baseball, softball, tennis, golf, outdoor track and field, lacrosse, rowing, men's volleyball, beach volleyball, and women's water polo. But it doesn't include and extend to winter sports. So basketball, hockey, swimming, and diving and gymnastics. We know a lot of those seasons cut short as well, unfortunately. Uh, March Madness, a lot of college seniors not able to play in the tourney, the big dance. The council also increased the roster limit in baseball, the only spring sport with such a limit for student-athletes impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. What spring programs now have to do is make those tough decisions about roster spots and playing time, knowing that with freshman classes on their way from high schools, teams will have more players at their disposal next year than they are accustomed to. Uh, Maryland's men's lacrosse coach, John Tillman, a sport we don't talk often about, but he was on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt on Monday, and he spoke to him about the issue. He said from the standpoint of extending this to players and giving them another shot, uh, it's great. But after that, the decision gets a little difficult and a little murky, and this was him talking about the transfer portal in particular. I would think, you know, at most schools, I wouldn't foresee on average more than 50% of the kids coming back. Um, I just think it would be hard. I think you have a lot of kids that, you know, again, they're, you know, we don't have a lot of scholarships. So financially it's going to be tricky for them to try to come back. Um, what you may see, Mike, is you might see, depending on what the transfer policy is, you might see the transfer portal explode. 
Um, and that's something I don't think a lot of people have considered. You know, if, if you're uh, a young guy, and, and let's use a football example, and you're a linebacker, and, you know, you're a sophomore, and you're thinking that, okay, you know, we're graduating three senior linebackers, now's my opportunity. If all three of those guys come back, do you really want to sit another year? Um, so do you look and say, all right, maybe I'll put myself in the portal and see what other options are out there? The NCAA Board of Governors have also voted unanimously on Thursday to distribute $225 million, less than half of what it previously budgeted to Division I schools in June, following the cancellation of basketball tournaments and other winter and spring championships because of the coronavirus pandemic. The NCAA had planned to distribute about $600 million with the first distribution scheduled for April, so now $225 million, that mark. Last week, NCAA President Mark Emmert expressed concern for schools being able to incur the additional scholarship costs in the current economic environment. So just something to keep an eye on as we move forward here. Free agent safety Eric Reed he wants a new look at the NFL's new collective bargaining agreement for all players. He thinks it's invalidated because language that was on the official uh, published website on the ratified agreement wasn't what they had received previously prior to voting, what they were uh, given to review over that seven to 10 day process before casting their vote. And now Eric Reed calling for an investigation and a revote. In a letter to the NFLPA on Monday, Reed's lawyer said language posted on the Players Association's website after passage of the agreement on March 15th contains language different from the one that the players signed off on. The new CBA is set to begin with the upcoming 2020 season and extend through 2030, 10 years of labor peace, and it passed by a very slim margin, uh, 1,019 votes to 959 votes. But the letter from Reed's attorneys highlights a difference in wording in the section about the league's disability plan that affects hundreds and potentially thousands of ex-players who applied for Social Security disability insurance payments before January 1st, 2015. In the version the players received and approved, Those offsets applied only to players who applied after that date. In a series of tweets yesterday, Reed, who has been outspoken and talked about he was an opponent of the agreement, provided screenshots of the CBA agreement to go along with what he's talking about. So if you want to see the side-by-side comparison, they are on his Twitter. As of now, the NFL has declined comment, and the NFLPA told ESPN it's withholding comment until its attorneys have a chance to review the information. We'll keep you updated on that as well. Up next on The Blitz, Danny O'Neill joins us. I wonder how he feels about ESPN moving up the release of the Michael Jordan documentary. The Last Dance, one of the biggest basketball fans and experts I know. I'll ask Danny about that next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you. Tuesday, March 31st. Thanks for hanging out this morning. ESPN is going to be moving up the release of its Michael Jordan documentary, 10-part series. And still, that seems maybe conservative for this. The Last Dance will be moved up from June to April so that people have something to entertain them during this time. Danny, what are you excited to to watch? You are one of the biggest 
basketball fans, uh, true fans, and then also just one of the most knowledgeable people I know about the NBA. What are you excited to watch? I want to see Jordan through the lens of when he was playing with the Bulls, there was an awful lot of, I I think our view of him was distorted through hero worship. (laughs) I think post in his post career, we've come to see more clearly what a ruthless competitor he was. And I'm interested to see that through the lens of sort of how did guys deal with him back then and the sort of way he interacted with teammates and what kind of person um, he was. Michael Jordan is fascinating for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is how transcendent of a player he was. He is and remains like there is a, a, a chord that watching him play strikes um, and, and honestly, like there are some similarities between Kobe's game and, and how, how Michael played just incredibly graceful and also powerful. I heard a description. It was an assistant coach for the Sonics who told me and remembered the first time he saw Jordan come on the court mm-hmm. and he said he looked like a Panther, just oh. this kind of like coiled muscle, very graceful and relaxed, but you knew at any moment it could just be this sort of lethal, uh, explosion and the stories you hear Kevin Garnett had one a couple weeks ago about the first time he trash talked Michael Jordan like all of those things I love I I absolutely and and it's not that I think like Michael was oh deep inside he's a really good guy sort of thing but I I think I think a lot of people enjoy being around him but he is clearly the Ruth the ruthless friend of even if he's your friend he's going to say things that are cutting and biting and he's just he always competes um, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see it because we don't, there's part of me that wonders if he had played in Kobe Bryant's era, mm-hmm. would he have been viewed more like Kobe than he was in his time? He was like this made for kids TV character and he's on commercials with Mars Blackman. And, and obviously the Kobe comparison is, is sort of flawed because Kobe had a, a real off the court I mean, he was charged with rape. Mm-hmm. So that changed the way he was seen. But as far as people like me will talk about Kobe's personality as a basketball player, Kobe's perceived as a very selfish jerk. Like, and the, even, even people who like think he's fantastic would basically be like, yeah, he was a jerk because he was so great. And that's how he got the best out of people. Mm-hmm. I think Jordan shared a lot of the same personality traits, but he was never characterized as a jerk. Um, I, I'll, I'm, I'm just, I'm really curious to see how, how our, uh, space jam image yeah. of Michael Jordan holds up to the reality of what we see in this vi- in, in this documentary. You almost have to evaluate athletes in the times of social media and then before social media. Jordan is one of those that I think if social media had existed to the extent it does now, that maybe our perception of him would be quite different. Not because I think necessarily... Um, well, because I think in a lot of ways, he didn't fit that image that we saw the, the Disney character, the space jam character, Michael Jordan. Yeah, no, there's definitely, look, there's been a change in the way athletes are presented. There's no doubt about that. We know more about them now and you're less likely to have guys presented as drink your milk, eat your cornflakes, drink Gatorade (laughs) and be like Mike, like that's, that's generally, and, and I, I think that's actually a good thing. I like I I think it's a good thing that we don't uh, create images for people that they don't conform to in in reality. Um, 
the the other part of that though is I actually think that the the reality of how their personalities work is actually more interesting. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I, honestly, there's a there's a story about Phil Jackson, sort of when he finally finally broke through with Jordan, and it was the game where Steve Kerr, I think he ended up hitting like seven threes, but at timeouts. Phil Jackson basically had to get Michael to understand he needed to pass the ball because of a very specific way that, that he was being defended. And, and he it basically, in a timeout, kind of kept kind of needling at Michael, but he wouldn't directly challenge him because he knew that that wasn't going to get the response. But he's like, what do we do when this happens? And finally, Michael, like without even looking at Phil Jackson's, like pass the ball to Kerr. And, and then he started doing it. And, it. and it happened like those sort of moments of like how how headstrong you have to be to be as good as Michael Jordan was and those moments when you have to learn to give in order to win championships that you can't do it all on your own. I, I mean, there's there's no end of things that I'm excited to see about this. I also would like to see some trash talking, please. Yeah. I would also like to see a great deal of trash talking. I would hope so. Well, speaking of trash talk, I think there was some of this involved. We're doing, you guys are doing a great rewatch project on Danny and Gallant. And Paul did some homework and rewatched some of the 93 Western Conference finals, correct? He at least watched game five. That's correct. Still on his docket game seven. Where, where Seattle gets robbed. Okay. The most suspicious Seattle sports moment ever. Like the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl was bad calls, but mm-hmm. I don't think it was, I don't think it was fixed. Um, I actually believe game seven of the 1993 Western Conference finals was fixed. Like I, 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 I believe that that game was offici- officiated in such a way that uh, that Charles Barkley and the Suns were going to go and play Michael Jordan in the NBA Finals. And the sports star has spoken, so I believe it. Um, but that led to an interesting conversation about the biggest enemies of Seattle sports. So Paul was enraged by Marley, who does. He hits like eight threes. And Marley's fairly, uh, fairly annoying. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's only so far you can go with calling someone from Central Michigan uh, a, a, a sports villain. Like Marley's generally pretty likable. Like mm-hmm. overall, like there's a lot of players that are really annoying in the NBA, and he's not generally one of them that I would consider. But who are Seattle sports villains? I think it's changed. The top two will be the top two for perp- in perpetuity until we get an NBA team back. It's Howard Schultz one. It's David Stern number two. After that, there's a lot of room because I think there's been changes. At some point in the past 10 years, Jim Harbaugh was firmly in there. I don't feel Harbaugh's in there anymore. Some people still have A-Rod in there. I don't because I've kind of let go of my grudge, but I respect people that do. So the question of we're going to put together an enemies list for Seattle, like who and, and, and rank Seattle sports villains. Ooh, I like this very much. I mean, I'm uh, the non-conflict, non-trash-talking type, but still, there's still some on my list. So I'm looking forward to this. It's coming up today on Danny and Gallant, correct? Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to doing it, and we'll see you at 7, Lydia. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. That's Danny O'Neill. Listen to him every morning at 7 a.m., 7 to 10, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next on The Blitz, a non-Seattle sports villain, Lofa Tatupu, joining Bob, Dave, and more Seattle sports favorite uh, to chat about the Seahawks and also everything going on right now. It's next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Basically an empty backfield, Cutler's going to throw. 
Now he's scrambling out to the right side. Now he's being chased by Tatupu. He's got him. Tatupu's got him. Drags him down. Great play. The sack by Lofa Tatupu dragging Cutler down on the far side. Nowhere to throw the ball. A loss of six yards. Welcome back to the Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, March 31st. Ryan Cena, sack of Jay Cutler. Courtesy of one Mr. Lofa Tatupu. He joined Bob, Dave, and more yesterday to talk about how the rules have changed in the NFL and is it more difficult these days for defenders than it has been in the past? I'm curious. We talk all the time about the rules and everything, the way the game's being played now, and Dave has a motto that he's throwing out there, make football violent again. Now, you you, you played more recently than Dave, and you know, so the game has evolved along the years, but do you think you'd have a hard time playing in today's game with the way they call it and the way they – you know, it feels like a defender doesn't really have much of a chance when it comes to really just nailing somebody the way you could in the old days. It, it, it feels defensively like a very different game. How tough would it be for you to play under the rules as they are now? Oh, absolutely. And I've talked about it before, you know, when I was growing up and just like, you know, I'm sure Dave, you know, you track that near pack and you slide across with your helmet, you know, across the, you know, the chin. And that was like how we were taught to make a form tackle when I was younger. And, uh, you know, so I can't imagine having to, you know, relearn that, that part of the, uh, the process. But, you know, I know when I was with the Hawks as a coach, they did a phenomenal job of implementing that, that rugby style tackle and, uh, and concussions were, were, were down. Um, and so that, you know, speaks to the safety of the game that, um, is being implemented now. But I, I it would be very hard for me to, to go against what I had learned my whole career. So, you know, I, my heart does go out to those those veteran players that, you know, they've, they've only known how to play one way. And when you bring in that element of thinking, like, oh, how do I set this up? Now, all of a sudden, two guys might get hurt, rather, you know, as opposed to one that, you know, that sees the contact coming. Hey, Lofa, uh, I'll never forget, you got a pick six in Philadelphia. You guys went out that year, Monday night, and uh, you guys end up winning 42 to nothing. And you jumped a, a stick route by the tight end and, you know, picked it off, went. And I think you did your, uh, oh, what was the guy's name that would punch the goalpost, the celebration? Vaisikahema. Uh, Vaisikahema. <laughs> I think you did that in honor of him, right? So, okay, now I love Vi. He's going to be a little mad at me. But that everybody, they, they assumed it was either for Vi or it was for uh, Rocky Balboa. Now it was for neither uh. of them. Even though I love I love Vi, it was for Kenny Norton Jr. Um, when uh. he scored, a, you know, a touchdown or he made a big play, he would go ring that goalpost. And um, John Marshall, our coordinator at the time, you know, he said before that game, he came up to me and said, "He's like, hey, you know, you're gonna do anything tonight? Like, are you gonna make a play?" And I was like, "You know what? I go, John, I'm gonna score a touchdown." And I go, and when, when I do, I think you'll, you'll, you know, remember the celebration. So I did that paying homage to, to my man, Kenny Nort, um, who, you know, he's, he's helped me so much in life, not just, you know, on the field, but off of it. And, uh, so that was, that was for Kenny Nort. Okay. Well, it, and then I remember talking to you afterwards about, you know, how you jumped that. And then later on, they came back with a, the stick nod, which means, you know, basically the same route, but he goes upfield. And I actually wrote about it in uh, the book that I wrote. 
if these walls could talk o- over the offseason. But, you know, I just I'd never come across a rookie. You had the understanding of like a 10 year veteran as far as, uh, you know, how to how to play and the strategy and everything of football. And I just thought, man, this guy is going to be a coach at some point. You did coach for a little while with the Seahawks. You ever you think you'll ever uh, go back to that? Yeah, yeah, I absolutely think I will uh, one day. When the kids get a little older, I, I'm blessed with two boys, uh, Kai and Kane. They are nine and, and five. Uh, and uh, when they get a little older and don't want to hang out with Dad anymore, I know what I'll do with my time, uh, especially because right now, uh, usually other than Sundays and, you know, in coaching, um, the other part of the process that I thoroughly enjoyed was the, the scouting and, um, you know, assessing uh, the, the, the guys that were coming up to the draft that, you know, right around now. So I, I definitely, you know, miss that part of it too. Lova Tatupo on with Bob, Dave, and more yesterday. And you can listen to that full interview online, 710sports.com. Also, ESPN's Brady Henderson, who joined Tom, Jake, and Stacey yesterday to talk about the latest update on Jadevi and Clowney. What happens if Clowney waits, you know, a couple months down the line and we're talking about July and maybe before training camp before Clowney actually is willing to sign a deal. Yeah, I, I don't think that they can afford to wait that long. And, you know, they, they are, as of right now, I think they're in a decent position just because, you know, I never got the, the impression that they were inclined to break the bank for him. And, um, you know, the reality that he has, is facing right now is that no team is willing to break the bank for him. The number I've heard uh, that he's looking for, the number that I've heard several times, is $21 million. And um, so far, nobody is willing to go that high. So, you know, maybe he eventually... Um, you know, accepts that reality and says, okay, Seattle was, you know, a pretty good situation to be in last year. I do know that um, he helped sell Brandon Shell, his former teammate at South Carolina on the Seahawks by, you know, telling him that Pete Carroll was a good coach to play for, a guy who takes care of his veterans. So by all accounts, he enjoyed his time in Seattle. Um, it's just a matter of, is he going to accept the reality that nobody is going to pay him $21 million uh, per season that he wants? And, and I just think if you're the Seahawks, I don't know how much longer, and I don't know if you can continue uh, to wait on him forever. You know, if they start seeing their alternatives dry up, um, you know, other guys, I don't know specifically who, who they have their eye on, but just, just say uh, for the sake of argument that it's somebody like Clay Matthews, or if they start seeing those guys, you know, sign elsewhere, then, then they may have to make a decision and say, look, we, we just can't wait for you any longer. Look, Brady, the thing just keeps you know, keeps me up uh, in terms of thinking about this is you talk about $21 million. Obviously, they're not anywhere near that. But when you talk about, you know, obviously a team can maneuver money when it's a longer-term contract. So if it's around $18 million, they can maneuver that and signing bonuses and all that. But if they're down the road where it's just a one-year deal, they can't maneuver that money. That's an $18 million cap hit really have – currently that room on on the on the cap so they're gonna have to make some you know major moves or cuts to make that happen as you said you know seeing them wait that long is there is there some you know logical moves or a a logical timeline that you could see formulating here between the Seahawks and Clowney yeah as far as the timeline I mean I I don't know you know if that would be another week another two weeks I, I just think that you know certainly you would want to going into the draft, you would want to know, okay, is, is this guy in or out? Because um, if you can't get him, then all of a sudden I would think that edge rusher becomes, um, you know, that much more of a priority. And the kind of rub there is that it's hard to get, 
impact guy, like immediate impact guys when you're picking late in the first round like they are. Um, it's a lot easier when you're picking, you know, in the top five, top ten, and Joey Bosa and Nick Bosa are right there, but it's harder uh, for teams like them that, that just don't have those guys left by the time they're picking. But nonetheless, I would still think that they would want to have that done or have that figured out by the draft. And in terms of, you know, other moves that they could make, certainly, um, you know, Justin Britt with the, the huge cap number and coming off, um, you know, the, the ACL, um, there's other guys there, uh, guys that for some reason I can't think of right now. Ed Dixon is another guy, uh, you know, maybe even somebody that, that, you know, like, uh, DJ Fluker, um, just with some of the moves that they've made, giving themselves flexibility on their offensive line to make that move or make those moves if they have to. But, um, yeah, I, I think there, you know, there is, there are ways to, to create that cap room. And we've seen that, you know, with trades that they've made for Sheldon Richardson, for Dwayne Brown. Um, so a team, I think, can can a lot of times find the money, but they also have to think, okay, is this guy really worth uh, the money that we're going to pay him? So it, it's not only being able to get the money; it's thinking, you know, does this does this guy match uh, the value that we put on him? Brady Henderson of ESPN on Tom Dick and Stacy yesterday. That is available for you on the podcast page of Seven Ted Sports. Com. Up next on the Blitz, the NCAA Council voting Monday to grant an extra year of eligibility to all student-athletes in spring sports whose seasons were canceled because of the coronavirus pandemic. But what does this ultimately mean for college sports moving forward and the financial implications of this? Also, a lot of athletes coming together to help in the COVID crisis. It's next in the hot list right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! Well, maybe you've made your way all the way through Tiger King wasn't enough episodes in your mind, but you're looking for things to watch. ESPN's going to help you out. They are moving up the release of the Michael Jordan documentary, the 10-part series, uh, will now begin and start on April 19th, was set to debut in June, but fans calling for uh, more programming because no sports on our television right now. We've been a little gap in a lot of people's hearts uh, the series will be available outside the United States on Netflix, so across the world it will be available. But it's gonna the last dance, as it's titled, takes you through the Chicago Bulls dynasty through the lens of the final championship in '97-'98, uh, and ESPN spoke to over 100 people close to the team, personalities who were a part of the run, experienced the run in some way, shape, or form, uh, and just exploring all angles of the Jordan phenomenon. I'm sure 10 episodes won't even seem like enough when it comes to that as well. The latest mock draft from Todd McShay is up on ESPN.com. And he talked about, yet again, this is one of the deepest wide receivers cla- wide receiver classes that he's ever seen. The depth of this wide receiver class, I've never seen anything like it. I really haven't. You can, in the third and fourth round, get guys that I'm convinced are going to be really good number two, number three starters down the road. And I think that's what teams are really struggling with and excited about. But they're struggling with this. 
Do I take a receiver like Jerry Judy in the first round coming out of Bama or, or Henry Ruggs coming out of Bama or um, Brandon Ayuk, who I love and I think is the most underrated uh, wide receiver in this entire class, or do I wait till the second or third round because I need to get an offensive tackle or a defensive tackle or a position that's going to dry up in the second round? I think that's going to be a real interesting dynamic to study over over the next month and, and really talking to GMs. That's what they're trying to fight through when they're setting up their boards. Todd McShay also with some thoughts on the Tua versus Joe Burrow conversation. And he said, well, if health isn't a factor, if you get both quarterbacks healthy for the next decade, he has a, a choice. If health is put aside, I would take Tua over Burrow. But it would be really close. And there's such a difference from what we saw from a year ago. And part of it is the system. Part of it is the fact that he was he got a little bit more experience. And Joe Brady, the coordinator, came in and, and was allowing him to do things that made him succeed. And that's what we see in the league all the time, too. I mean, yes, we all fail when evaluating quarterbacks. We all fail evaluating all of these players sometimes. But what we forget about all the time, it's not just the talent, it's what situation are they in? Are, do, are they having a, you know, a, a coordinator that's allowing them to do the things that they do best? And I think we saw with Burrow, he's the prime example. But ultimately, just watching the tape, if I was promised that both of these quarterbacks were going to be healthy for the next 10 years, I would take Tua over Burrow, but there's no way I could do that knowing the history of quarterbacks and the injuries in the NFL coming from college. This was on Get Up yesterday, but Tampa Bay General Manager Jason Licht said to Mike Greenberg that in their first phone call with Tom Brady, T12, uh, the first day of free agency, March 18th, Brady was actually the one pitching them, selling them on why Tampa Bay is a good fit for him. We had a great conversation, Bruce and I. We talked to him for over an hour and a half, and he made it clear in the conversation that uh, he was very, very interested. It was almost like a recruitment on his part, telling us why it would make sense for him to come to Tampa Bay. And the next the following day we signed him, but it was at that phone call that we realized that uh, we felt like, uh, you know, we, we had him. Early on, both Licht and Arians, Bruce Arians had identified him as their top quarterback option, but it seemed like more of a Hail Mary in that instance. Uh, that they even joked about it. So the fact that it became a real possibility and that it was Tom Brady on the line uh, got things, uh, made things a little bit more interesting for them. And of course, uh, they wanted to have him in sunny Florida. Free agent safety Eric Reed, he wants a revote and maybe an investigation into the new collective bargaining agreement. He says that it should be invalidated because. There was new language or different language added after the ratification earlier this month. In a letter that Reed wrote to the NFLPA on Monday, well, it was Reed's lawyers, uh, they posted on the Players Association website, uh, he, they said that language, excuse me, in the copy that was posted on the Players Association website was different than the one that was sent out to players and that passed by a very slim margin of just over 1,000 votes to 959. The new CBA is set to begin with the upcoming 2020 season and extend through 2030. But the letter from Reed's attorneys talk about a difference in wording in the section about the league's disability plan. 
That will affect hundreds, potentially thousands of ex-players who applied for Social Security disability insurance payments before January 1st, 2015. In the version the players received and approved, those offsets applied only to players who applied after January 1st, 2015. Read in a series of tweets, he's been a vocal opponent of the agreement, put it, this up on his Twitter, uh, providing screenshots of the, the, the copy they received and then the one that was actually posted online. Both the NFL and NFLPA declined to comment at this time. Doug Glanville of ESPN, who covers MLB over there, talked about recently how long a season might be possible for Major League Baseball. I say half half a season. I don't know for you know 100 percent of how this is going to play out, but you know you're looking at the clock. You have to get ready. You have to have kind of another spring training. How long is that going to take? Uh, first of all, you're trying to coordinate an entire country. You know, teams are all over the place, and what's happening in Washington State. It's not necessarily what's happening in Washington, D.C. with respect to the health and safety. So to create a unified schedule is very difficult. Do you have neutral sites? Do you play in front of fans? You know, all these decisions are going to constantly be changing. So, you know, how you can get a full season, and I, it's, it's hard to imagine without doing something where you're playing once again out to December and you're playing doubleheaders every weekend, and then you start to question what kind of product you're putting out there. And remember, as part of that agreement that the players and uh, Major League Baseball signed last week, there can't be any restrictions on travel. Um, the CDC recommendations have to approve this in order for them to get underway. So there are a few roadblocks there as well. Doug Glanville also talked about the possibility of a shortened season. The balance point is how far away do you get to certain traditions just to accomplish a season? And now everything has to be on the table because you you don't want to sit here and you're out in August and you're trying to play a 50-game season. The playoffs are going to look incredibly different in that scenario. Do you add more teams? You know, wild card round? Do you have a round robin? Do you just play division play? Every month you go by, that equation is shifting. But uh, Brian Divish, the Seattle Times on 710 yesterday, talking about giving Rob Manfred a little bit of credit for being open to some ideas and being innovative about how they get the rest of this or get this season on the books. I'll give Rob Manfred some credit. And I mock him a lot. And I think he's kind of a used car salesman in a lot of aspects. But he um, he does. He does. He is willing to listen to all things, all possibilities. And I think that was kind of the thing that they did with this um, collective bargaining agreement they have for this season as they went in and they they went in with the idea that look they didn't know exactly how everything was going to work and how everything was going to play out uh, and they understood that, that the situation we're dealing with right now is far from like stable so they, they were willing to to be malleable in the sense of how they want to do things and I think that's the big thing because we're dealing with a situation that nobody's ever dealt with before and they, and they have to have some kind of flexibility to make it work. The NCAA Division I Council voted yesterday to grant an extra year of eligibility to all student-athletes in spring sports whose seasons came to an end uh, because of the coronavirus pandemic. NCAA's decision will give the possibility of eligibility to of all spring sport student-athletes, not just seniors, whose careers uh, ended because of the shortened season or because of the canceled season. It will allow schools to expand their rosters beyond current scholarship scholarship limits, excuse me, to account for incoming recruits and seniors who are expected to leave. 
The NCAA will leave it up to each school to decide whether to grant seniors in spring sports less or equal financial aid next year compared to what they received this year. But this also could end up putting school, some schools, and smaller schools in particular, in a tough spot because you now have the freshman class coming in and you have uh, this class with the potential to stay. So not only more athletes on the fields that coaches will have to work with, but um, that not so much the problem as the scholarship aid in an era where you aren't hosting basketball tournaments and who knows when games could resume. So the revenue coming in from those types of, uh, of things aren't coming into these schools who are now in a tough position or will be in a tough position. The NCAA Board of Governors also voted last week to distribute $225 million. That is less than half of what it previously budgeted to Division I schools in June following the cancellation of March Madness and other uh, and other sports tournaments and championships because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, how about just a little quick piece of good news? More than 115 athletes, coaches, and sports personalities joined together to raise money for COVID-19. It's a special response fund aimed at providing assistance for fighting the global pandemic. Uh, among those involved, Steph Curry, Simone Biles, Mark Cuban, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Tony Hawk, Rose LaBelle, uh, just to name a few. David Ortiz, Big Poppy, even in that mix there. Uh, how it works, too, is uh, it's Athletes for Relief is the name of it. And the program, which runs through May 1st, has already raised more than $63,000. You can visit athletesrelief.org you just make a minimum $25 donation under the name of the athlete of your choice and you enter to win a really unique item from them Uh, might be game worn game used uh, piece of memorabilia one uh, one off very rare and uh, signed by them and all it takes is that $25 donation to help COVID-19 the response fund that's a wrap for the hot list and the entire blitz at six hour Danny and Gallant coming your way in minutes right here on 710 ESPN Seattle